Welcome to the Pacific Point Church Podcast, where we're learning to love and live like Jesus. During this half hour, we're praying that God will direct, encourage, and speak to you. If you would like to partner with Pacific Point Church and our church plants, visit us at pacificpointchurch.com give. At that same site, you can also watch and listen to previous sermons, read follow-up blog posts and extended notes, and even connect with Pacific Point Church on social media. We hope you're encouraged by today's message. Good morning. How's everybody? That was lame. You guys, come on. Good morning. Come on. It's good to be here in the house of the Lord this morning after that wonderful worship. Man, I really enjoyed that. Um, Josh, I mean, like Chris said, he, he gets guitar off and then runs back and then takes care of our kids. That's pretty impressive. He does a lot here. There are a lot of people that... Uh, help make this church go. So I want to thank all the volunteers and all that you guys do. So so one of the things we, we regularly talk about is church and culture. And, and when we talk about church and culture, it's, it's what's pertaining to today and culture and what we're looking at. And we've been in the book of Ephesians, and uh, I've loved it. It's been great. And, and uh, Luke, was that, was that last week? I don't even, everything's like, Luke was here last week and preached and did a fantastic job. And, and uh, um, but... There are cultural things that are happening, and I feel like God said, pause. Pause Ephesians, because we need to talk about what's going on in the world. There's a lot going on in the world, and a lot of questions, and a lot of people asking questions. There's the Israeli-Palestinian conflict in the Middle East, and I don't think we can, as a church, just come here every Sunday and talk about Ephesians and not address what's happening in the world. You know, there's so many things going on, and, and so many people talking about it that that uh, we're going to spend the next couple of weeks, and I, I just want to give you uh, a picture of, of what we see in the Bible. Here, here's what I want. I want you as Christians, you are Christians in here, those of you that are just visiting, come on back, and I want us to be informed. I want us to know. I don't want us to be those, uh, those people who have these diehard stances and they're fighting with the left, right, and everybody else. I want you to be informed. I want you to know what the Bible says. Charles Krauthammer said this. I love this. Charles Krauthammer has passed away uh, several years ago, but he, uh, he said this. Israel is the only, and I did some research on it, and he's pretty right on. Israel is the only nation on the earth that inhabits the same land, bears the same name, speaks the same language, and worships the same God that it did really over 3,000 years ago. Three th over 3,000 years ago. That's Israel. And it's been an interesting time because I, I hear people saying things. And, and you may have heard some of the same questions. And, and you may have uh, uh, wrestled with some of And these are some of the things that I hear. I just don't understand this hatred. I don't understand the hatred that's going on. I don't understand this level of hatred towards Jews. I don't understand what's going on in college campuses. Mind-blowing. I don't understand how people could kill children, babies, families, innocent people. This one, I don't understand the barbaric killings by Hamas. And I don't know if you've read some of the accounts. I don't know if you've seen some of the accounts of what is going on and the horrific ways that people have died during this conflict. It's important to understand that. It's important not to whitewash that because there's a principle and there's some truth that I want to teach around that will give you some 
insight as to why you might see a family. And one of the descriptions of uh, uh, a, a two children face first in the ground having been shot in the head. A mom and dad not more than 500 feet away, less than that, both face first down, shot in the head. The assumption and, and the way that, I don't know how they, that, that mom and dad were shot and killed in front of son and daughter. And then son and daughter were killed. How can that happen? In all of humanity, how can any human do that to another human being? How could any human subject others to that kind of pain and physical torment? Has anybody, by show of hand, has anybody wrestled with those questions or had those questions asked during this, this last season? The first question we have to address, and, and I've been asked many times, is this. Why did God choose the Jews? Why Jews? Why the Jewish nation? Why is that so important? Is it that they were something special beyond everybody else? And let, let me, let's talk about that. There's a couple things. God made a covenant with Abraham, who was Jewish. God preserved the preservation of his people. Time out. Uh, we just threw that up there. I think we were going to do it earlier, but that's fine. Um, if you have any questions throughout this, you can text in um, and we'll try and answer them at the end because there's a lot of information. And, and there's going to be a lot of information. Actually, there's a lot of Bible reading, and, and I promise we'll be out of here by three. It, it'll happen. And no, if, um, if, but if you have any questions, we'd like to try to answer them. So that's, that's a number you can ask. But why did God choose the Jews? He had a covenant with Abraham. The persev- uh, the, this holding people together, the uh, preservation of his people. Think about this. The Jews are, are small in number. Yet, throughout history, they have survived. They live some, what is it, is it 9 million, 19 or 9 million, sorry, my head is, is uh, Jews in, in Israel, surrounded by all of these Muslim nations, and they've survived. For 4,000 years, they've been surrounded by opposing nations, and they've survived. And it's this, God's preservation of his people. The revelation of God's law came through the Jews, bearing witnesses to God's sovereignty, God's sovereign hand over this people throughout history, a spiritual example of how God deals with a people. It's a prophetic picture. The Jewish people are a prophetic picture to you and I and how God deals with us, what it looks like. more importantly or ultimate the purpose of the Jews is that that he would bring the Messiah into the world through the lineage of the Jewish nation this was fulfilled perfectly in the person of Jesus Christ It, it wasn't because they were more special than anybody else it wasn't because they were more important God just said I'm going to choose these people and I'm going to show my favor over them so that you and I because when we come into a relationship with Jesus We come into this family so that you and I can see how God deals with us. We can see God's greatness. We can see his mercy. We can see his goodness. Let me give you a 30,000-foot kind of picture from a biblical perspective of what's what's going on. This is in why it's important. Why it's important. Israel, Hamas, Palestine, and the land. 
and these are the topics that I want to tackle the next couple of weeks, is the fall, total depravity and hatred, the promise and a covenant, disobedience in two nations, Muhammad and the spiritual battle, and the end. So over the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about these, these topics. Also, if, if you want, uh, there's, a, there's a lot of information that I'm going to be going through. If you would like notes, you can, uh, you can email us or, or text, and we can get you all the slides or, or any of the information that you would like from this, if you, if you would like it. Or you can just go back and watch it on Facebook or um, whatever other platform we use. I don't know. I'm terrible with that stuff. Um, all right, so let's, let's dive in here. Here's what you need to know. Here, here's like a foundational points that you need to know. Number one is the fight has been going on for thousands of years. This fight that we see in the Middle East has been happening for thousands of years. This fight will continue until Jesus returns. It's not going away. It will not be solved. There'll be times where it's less, you know, this, but there, it, it is not going away. Here's the other thing that, that you need to know. This isn't about CNN or Fox News or Harvard campus. This is not political. This is profoundly spiritual. There is a spiritual battle that is happening, waging right in front of our eyes, and we don't know it. The fight is over three specific areas, and I will show you what those are. These are the foundational things you need to know. Lastly, and most importantly to you and I, is God is a covenantal God. That God makes covenant with his people, and that gives us hope. That when you come into a relationship with Christ Jesus, he makes this covenant that's sealed by the Holy Spirit that no one can take away from you, that you will have eternal life and that God will fulfill the promises that he has given each one of us. All right, let's start with the fall. And it, again, I've got a lot of scripture to read, but just stay with me. It's important to build off of. Genesis 3, 3 through 7 says this. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field, and the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say to you, you shall not eat of the tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the tree in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said, it's the enemy, you will surely not die. God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good from evil. So when the woman saw the tree that's good for the food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired and to make one wise, she took its fruit and ate it. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made for themselves loincloths. This is the beginning of the fall of man. This is the origin of the fall of man. Anything that you're dealing with, any disease, any sickness, any unforgiveness, any hatred, uh, uh, wars, you know, language, all of these things that you experience, that you and I experience, start right here. Everything starts at the origin of the fall of man. See, pre Genesis 3, 3, everything's perfect in the garden. No pain, no suffering. Everything's perfect. Post, after they touch what God told them not to touch, everything starts to fall apart. People die. Pre, live into eternity. Post, people die. That's the fall of man. Now, the fall 
has ushered in consequences, significant consequences in this world. The fall of man has ushered sin into this world. The sin that you've experienced, the sin that you do, the sin that's been sinned against you is because of Genesis 3, the fall of man. There's a separation from God that happens because of the fall of man. Perfect community before Genesis 3, brokenness after Genesis 3, suffering and death, curse and creation, that brokenness in relationship, broken relationships between mother, father, sister, husband, wife, friends, broken relationships, a need for a redeemer and hope and redemption all came through Genesis 3 in the fall. Everything tracks back to Genesis 3. You know, when you go, oh, I can't believe this. Look at Genesis 3. Oh, I can't believe that someone has died. Look at Genesis 3. Oh, I can't believe the pain I'm in. Look at Genesis 3. Oh, I can't believe what they just did to me. Look at Genesis 3. Sounds oversimplified. But when we don't understand our scriptures, we don't understand humankind. So here we go. We went from the fall to total depravity like that. Let me show you. Genesis 4, 1 through 8. Total depravity and hatred. In a moment, in the first generation from the fall of man, we see this. Now, Adam and Eve, his wife, and she conceived, uh, knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I've gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore uh, his brother Abel, now, Abel was a keeper of the sheep, and Cain worked the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought the firstborn of his flock of their fat portion. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. But for Cain and, and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very, very angry. I added a very sorry. And his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why is your face fallen? If you do well, you will not be, you will not be, if you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door and its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. We, that arrow should be in the middle total depravity. We were just at the fall of man. And the very next chapter, the very next chapter, two brothers, because of hatred and anger, there's death. I, I mean, it didn't take long. You would hope at least a couple years. You'd hope at least a couple of centuries. You'd hope there'd be a little gap there, but immediately we see the fall. And the consequences of this total depravity is separation from God. It's sin. It's hatred. Genesis 3, the consequences of total depravity of the fall is unforgiveness. It's the disease that you're dealing with. It's a broken relationship, again. It's the hopelessness. It's the murder. It's the unthinkable murdering. You want to know how someone does what has happened the last two weeks? The unthinkable murdering. Fall of man. Depravity. Church, we should not, if we know our word, we should not be like knocked off our feet when we see sin and evil. Really, what it, what it should do to us is drive us to our knees. Oh, God, have mercy. 
But too many Christians are not, oh, I can't believe what's going on here. No, I can believe it because I see it in my word. Because I saw the moment that man fell, Cain and Abel, someone dies. That's crazy. It makes sense, the unthinkable murdering that's taking place when you put it in context of total depravity. Now, here's the problem. Most people and a lot of Christians don't believe in total depravity. I'm a good person. I'm a good person. But if you're willing to pull back your, and just open your soul to its depths apart from Jesus, what would we see? Does, does, I mean, have you ever said, I hate that person? Well, Jesus says that's the same as murder in Matthew. If you just pulled it back and no one could ever see what you're thinking or what you're doing, what would your life look like? See, that's what we're talking about. Remember the questions. I don't understand how hatred, I don't understand how they hate the Jews. I don't understand how they can do it. You know how they can do it? Total depravity. You want to know how the atrocities that are taking place right now are taking place? Total depravity. You want to know how, why anybody would pluck the eyeballs from a human's life, would take the fetus from a mother's womb? You want to know how that happens? Total depravity. And I know that's heavy, and I know that's, that's I, I'm sorry if there are children in here. I, I know there's a weight to that, but church, we have to understand what sin does and the weight of it. The fall, depravity, but we have hope. See, here's the beauty. We have hope. We have hope. Number three, the promise and the covenant. There's a fall. There's total depravity. But this God that we serve, this Jesus that he promises, brings hope. And he does it through a covenant that he makes with each of us. He does it through a covenant. Let's see what it says. Genesis 15. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O, o Lord God, what will you give me? For I am childless. And the heir of my house, Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and the member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and this man shall be your heir, and your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, now this doesn't have the same impact in Orange County, because at night you go outside and you look up, what do you see? Nothing. But if you go up to Big Bear, or you go to Utah, or you go somewhere real, you know, a beautiful... You look at, has anybody, you look at, and you just, millions and millions of stars. See, that's what Abraham would have been looking up. When God told him to look up, there's billions of stars. And he brought him outside and said, look toward heaven and number the stars, if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, you shall your offspring be, so shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord Abraham believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur, 
and the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. God makes this covenant with Abraham and says, my word is good. It's guaranteed. The key is this. The promise always comes with a covenant. When God gives you a promise, when you read the promises in this word that are about you, they come through a covenant that is made with God. Literally in the Hebrew, it says to cut a covenant. Covenant, And what they would do is they would literally cut and blood would flow and blood would come together and be one. And we look, we don't have time to get into it, but in, 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 in Genesis uh, 17, it, there's this cutting that God does in making this covenant with Abraham. And it's this, this, you know, you remember when you're kids and you spit in your hand, your buddy spit in your hand and you go, boom, we're in. It's kind of like that. Except there's blood. And there's a guarantor, which is God. In verse 18, it says this, because here's, here's the key. On that day, on that day, God made a covenant with Abraham and said, to your descendants, I give this land. He promises them the land and everything that goes with it because more comes with that and the land. God promises three things to Abraham in that. It's the land, it's the lineage. When he says, look up in the stars, and he says, this will be your people. If you can number the stars, he's saying your lineage looks like that. Millions and billions of people. And then the third thing he says is this. I give you a covenant, I make a covenant that the Lord will come through your lineage. So this is three things that he gives him. He says, here is your land. He says, here are your people. And then he says, through that, I'm going to bring a savior. What a blessing that would be. Can you imagine? That's going to be mind-blowing. That the Savior, the creator of heaven and earth, the Savior, Jesus, is going to come through your seed, through your lineage, through your children, through your grandchildren, through your great-grandchildren. God makes that promise with Abraham. He makes that covenant promise with Abraham. Here's the first fight. The first fight is for land. The first fight is for land. Let me, let me stop and back up a little bit. This is the fight, these three things are the fight that are taking place in Israel in the Gaza Strip right now. These are, this is it right here. And you'll see as we unfold, as we get deeper into this, you'll see what I mean. But the first thing that is fought for is land. It's land. Verse 7 says this. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur to the Chaldeans to give you the land to possess. Verse 18 through 20. On that day, God made a covenant with Abram. He said, to your offspring, I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, to the river of Euphrates, to the land of those guys and those guys and those guys and the Hittites and the Perizzites and every other site that I hate to pronounce. God says, it's yours. It's yours. God, and here's the beauty. God doesn't say it once, but he continues to remind throughout. And he reminds his people of his promises and covenant, as he does to us. Why? To give us hope that what he said is true. And we see here with Moses, he promises this of what he had told Abraham. And this is a, a picture of, and we see this is present, pretty much present Israel. And it, I didn't mark out the Gaza Strip, but this is Israel and the promise that was given to Abraham and then passed on to Moses in Numbers 34. And then again in Ezekiel, 
God reminds them and, and of the promise of Abraham and gives this land, this land that has been promised in a covenant to his people some 4,000 plus years ago. It's a covenant that God made. And God is a covenantal God. Not a, a, he doesn't break his covenant. His word, his yes is yes and his no is no. And the promise is still alive today. You and I walk in the same covenantal relationship with God in this Abrahamic covenant that he made. You and I walk out today. It looks a little different. I don't live in, in the Middle East. But, but God gives this as believers, this land to possess. And it has to do with a spiritual inheritance that you have. The land God gives is to believers is a spiritual inheritance of family. It's a spiritual inheritance of the power that God gives us. It's the kingdom of God. The land is the kingdom of God. What does Jesus say? That thy kingdom come, thy will be done. It's promised rest. You know what our inheritance is? That God will give us rest in the midst of chaos. That he'll give us peace. And that's a promise that God gives us. It's our land that we possess. It's spiritual authority to speak against, to pray against the demonic and, and, and have dominion over the dark places. That is the land that God has given us to possess as believers. Many of us don't take land. The land you naturally possess. There's a spiritual possession. There's a natural possession. The natural possession is, is your neighborhood, your workplace, the places you play, your children. Those are the lands that God has called you to possess as believers. The promise is still yours today. You have a land. Don't be so fast to give it up, church. Don't be so fast to give it over your neighborhood to whatever's going on. In my neighborhood, it's a little crazy in, in, in Costa Mesa, but uh, about a year or two ago, we, there, someone was smoking crack out front across the street. I mean, there's, it's, it can be a little crazy. I don't want to give over my land. I want to believe God for my neighbors. I want to believe God for the, the, the men and women that live around us. Don't give over the land that the enemy's trying to take that he's called you into. Take a stand. Fight for what God has called you to. The second fight, first one's land. The second fight is lineage. Lineage. How important is a name? It defines you. I am, I'm proud of the name that this man gave me. Blue. I'm proud. When, when I see my son play hockey on the back of his jersey, it says blue. There's great pride. When, when, I, when I hear, um, it's funny, in the military, like all of, TJ's buddies would come around and I'd say, yeah, yeah, tell me about tennis. And they're like, who? No one knows their first names. It's crazy. I'm like, uh, tennis and blue. Oh, blue. And that, so now as I'm around them, they, they, they go, uh, blue, blue. I, there's a pride that comes because there's something in, in the lineage that this young man, that these young men, that, that the daughters that I have will, will pass on what God has given me. Important. There's a lineage. And we see this in Matthew 1, 17, or 1 through 17. And it's, it's this 42 generations. These arrows keep getting messed up, sorry. 42 generations from Ab Abraham all the way down to Jesus. 42 generations. A lineage that leads to the Savior that came through Abraham. 
a lineage. As believers, our spiritual lineage to Jesus is described in terms of adoption. We're not Jewish. Some of us are. Uh, I'm not Jewish, but I'm adopted into, into Christ Jesus. It's a spiritual family, a faith, becoming part of the family of God. What does our lineage look like? We're adopted as, uh, as children of God. Our faith in Christ brings us into that position. We can be a, a Jew in the natural or a Gentile in the natural, but it's that relationship with Jesus that solidifies who we are in Christ. We receive the Holy Spirit as that seal. And we're joint heirs with Christ through our faith in him. There's a lineage. What, what, what does the lineage look like? Sorry about my slides. Um, it, it looks like our children. Our lineage looks like our grandchildren. Again, we were down in San Diego visiting TJ and Lily and this, this, this baby. It just, it just stirs up pride and just love and, and just, you know, it major, my other grandson, just being around. There's a lineage that is, is going through us. There's also a spiritual lineage that are people that you work with. There's a lineage that's your neighborhood. There's a lineage with the guy that serves you at Taco Bell that maybe you take the time to say hello and get to know. There, there's a spiritual lineage that God has called us to. And our lineage looks like Christ in you to others. Jesus in you to your friends, family, and neighbors third fight land the lineage and then the third fight is the Lord this is what Hamas and Israel is fighting over these three things Genesis 22 1 through 11 and God said take your son speaking to Abram talking about Isaac now let, let me let me give you the picture it is Isaac is believed to be anywhere from a, 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 a young man, 16-ish, to a young adult, 20-ish. So when, you, when I read this story, think in the context. This isn't a baby. This is a young man. Let's just go with this 16 to 18, young man. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on the mountain I will show you. Early the next morning, Abraham got up. I mean, just stop right there. He got up and just in faith. He's like, okay, let's go. Time to sacrifice your son. All right. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out to a place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in a distance. He said to his servant, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. And we will worship, then we will come back to you. And this is a side note, I'm not going to get into it, but uh, he says, we'll come back to you. He's going to sacrifice to somebody. He was assured that God could raise him from the dead. He said, we'll come back. And then in verse 6, he says, Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac and himself, carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied, the fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. Verse 9. 
When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Now, he would, uh, Isaac would have to voluntarily, you know, he, he put him on there. He, he voluntarily went on there trusting his father. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called from heaven, uh, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have withheld from me your son, your only son. Powerful story. The significance of this story is this. It's an incredible foreshadowing of Jesus. Look, let me show you something. God sacrificed his son. Genesis 22.1. Then God said, take your son, your only son. Whom you love, Isaac, go to the region of Moriah, sacrifice him there, the burnt offering on the mountain, and I will show you. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, he gave his only son. Two, Jesus carries the cross. What does it say in Genesis 22, 6? Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. A prophetic picture of Jesus who would carry his cross to his own death. Foreshadowing the Savior. Jesus, the Lamb of God, Genesis 22. I mean, Isaac's like, Dad, where is the Lamb for the sacrifice? And he says, God will provide. John 1, the next day he saw Jesus coming towards him and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is Old Testament and New Testament. The Old Testament is the New Testament concealed. The New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. Prophetic picture, time and time and time. Go, I don't like to read the Old Testament because I don't understand it all. Well, get a commentary. Get with someone who can help talk you through it because there are so many beautiful gems and pictures that you'll miss out on that God wants you to walk through if you don't read your Old Testament. Solomon's temple built on Mount Moriah, the one that said approximately 300 meters from the crucifixion. And God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, to, and go to the, the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there. The burnt offering on the mountain, and I will show you. Matthew 27, 33. They came to a place called Golgotha, which means the place of skulls. Right there, same spot. You think this is by chance? The picture of our Lord Isaac and Jesus are both children of a promise, miraculously conceived. Isaac and Jesus, both their fathers, only sons. Isaac and Jesus are offered to sacrifice their father who loved them. Isaac and Jesus are offered in sacrifice in the same place to be sacrificed or, or uh, to be a sacrificial lamb of God. Isaac and Jacob carry the wood on their back to die. Isaac and Jesus were both obedient to their father to the point of death. Both narratives conclude what God will provide. Both father and fathers anticipated their son's resurrections. Remember what I said? He said, we'll be back. Both of them anticipated the resurrection of their son. Both Isaac and Jesus were raised from the dead. It's this beautiful picture. There's a lineage. Does it make a little more sense why there's fighting going on over this? There's a fight today for our Lord. We're, we're not fighting the fight that they're fighting. But believe me, as you know, we're fighting a cultural fight here over our Lord today. In this nation. Over the existence of God. We're fighting for land. We're fighting for an inheritance. 
and we're fighting for our Jesus, for our Lord. That's what's going on. But here's where the spiritual conflict starts. Here's the crux. Here's the point where everything starts to go sideways. Disobedience. Disobedience in two nations. Genesis 16, 1 through 2. Now, Sarah, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. Not Sammy either. It's too easy. So she said to Abram, The Lord has kept me from having children. Go with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. What? Wait, what did she just say? What did this woman just say? She said, I got this other chick over here. I want you to sleep with her. Take her as a wife. And then have a baby with her. And then, you know, we could be one happy family. Genesis, remember Genesis 15? Look at the stars. A covenant, a promise that God gives. What did she just say? And then in 15, then the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. This is the promise that God gave to Abraham. He took him outside. Look at the sky. Look at the stars. Look what, and God, a covenantal God, gave him the promise. And Sarah said this. And Abraham agreed to what Sarah said. So after Abraham had been living in Canaan for 10 years, Sarah and his wife took the Egyptian slave Hagar and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar and she conceived. When she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Can you imagine? You can't conceive, but the mistress that you gave to your husband is now pregnant. She's walking around, look at me. You can't, but I did. And she began to despise her mistress. Then Sarah said, said to Abram, you are responsible for the wrong I am suffering. I put my slave in your arms, and now she knows she is pregnant. She despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Your slave is in your hands, Abram said. Do with her whatever you think is best. And Sarah mistreated Hagar, so she fled from her. And then look at this. This is the description of a new nation that is being birthed. Verse 16. An angel of the Lord also said to her, You are now pregnant. He's talking to, to Hagar. You are now pregnant and will give birth to a son, and you shall name him Ishmael. For the Lord has heard your misery. And then he says this of Ishmael. He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone, and everyone's hand will be against him. And he will live in hostility toward his brothers. That's Ishmael. A new nation is born in verse 15. So Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram gave him the name Ishmael to the son he had born. Disobedience. Ishmael born to Abraham out of disbelief and disobedience. Not unlike many of us. God gives us a promise and we're impatient. We don't think it's coming to pass or we don't think it's going to happen and we jump right in there and our wives gives us a new girl to sleep with. I, I, I haven't heard that one, but... <laughs> You know, but it's just our foolishness. 
our foolishness out of disobedience and disbelief. God says, I give you my promise. It's sealed. It's my covenant. It's good as gold. Take it to the bank. And we go, ah, I just don't feel it today, Lord. I just don't think you can do it. So I'm going to help make it come to pass. And we're trying to make things in our lives come to pass when God's saying, just be patient. I'll bring it to pass. Just be patient. I'll bring it to pass. Ishmael born to Abraham out of disbelief. See, when you forget the promise of God in your life, you make desperate choices that cost you and others. Remember, this is a prophetic picture of us. Verse 16, disobedience in two nations. Now, actually, we're in 17 now. God said to Abraham, he's renamed him, and he says to, to Sarah, his wife, you are no longer to be called Sari, I went to the Jewish on it, and I couldn't keep going that, so I just say Sarah. But they moved from this pronunciation to Sarah. Thank you for the University of Minnesota. Come on, you know better. Um, I will bless her and, and, and will surely give you a son by her. I will bless her so that she will be the mother of nations. Kings and peoples will come from her. Abraham fell face down. He laughed and said to him, well, will a son be born to a man 100 years old? Will Sarah bear a child at her age of 90? And Abraham said to God, if only Ishmael might live under your blessing. Goes on, and then God said, yes, but your wife Sarah will bear you a son, and you will call him Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him. There it is. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant. There it is, everlasting covenant for his descendants after, for descended after descended after generation after generation. And as for Ishmael, I've heard you. I will surely bless him. I will make him fruitful and he will greatly increase in his numbers. We see a whole region. He will be the father of 12 rulers, just as Isaac's the father of the 12 Jewish nations. Ishmael will be the ruler of 12. Uh, uh, and I will make him into a great nation. But my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah will bear to you by this time next year when you have finished speaking. When he had finished speaking with Abraham, God went up from him. Verse 19. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. God assures him of his promise that he makes. Two nations born. One an Arab nation and one a Jewish nation. Two nations born. One born out of mistrust. One born out of, of, of defiance. One born out of, out of disbelief. One born out of a covenant. Two nations born. An Arab nation, Ishmael. A Jewish nation, Isaac. One out of disbelief, another out of a covenant. Approximately 2,500 years later, Muhammad is born, who is the founder of Islam. And here's what we see. Because Muhammad, his contentions are this. Ishmael is the son of the covenant. What he contends is this. When you look at the, at, at, at the, at, at, uh, the Quran, says the land is their covenant promise. The lineage that leads to 
Muhammad? It comes through Ishmael. And Allah is the one and only God. This is the conflict. Don't be foolish. This isn't a political battle. Don't turn into your Fox News and go, well, they say this about Israel or turn into CNN and they say this about Israel and Hamas. That, that's not what this is about. This is a spiritual battle. This is about the fall of man. This is about a covenant that God makes with his people. It's about a fight to hold on to the belief of that covenant that God has given. It's about a hatred that comes when, when, when it's been stolen or when, when, when there's death or when there's carnage or everything that's going on. There's a hatred that came when we see the fall of man came into this world. This conflict that we see in the Middle East started some 4,000 years ago. It started in Genesis. It really started in Genesis 3. Because that's not the way God meant it to be. And it got expedited in Genesis 15, 16, 17, 18 when Abraham and Sarah didn't believe what God said was true was going to happen. And because of that, we've seen thousands of years of war. The prophetic picture for you and I is this, that, that some of the things you're warring with, some of the things I war with in my life are because of a direct disobedience to what God has called me to. And that conflict will never be resolved outside of Jesus Christ. In the same way that this conflict between the Arab nations and the Jewish nation will never be resolved outside of Christ. We'll get into that a little more next week. But, but for you and I today, the conflict that we, we walk in, the disobedience of not trusting God's word or trusting God for a wife or for a husband or for our kids or for a job or for our finances or for whatever our health or whatever it might be. God has given us a promise. We have hope. Remember the questions. Now they should start to make sense a little bit if you look through them, through, if you look through the lens of this word. Just start to make sense why people are asking. You should be able to have an answer to why these questions are the questions that have been made. But here's the beauty. We have hope. Deuteronomy 7.9 says this of God's people, the Jews, who we are adopted into when we come into this relationship with Jesus. Now, therefore, the Lord your God is God. He is the faithful God keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commands. You have hope. In the midst of this chaos in this world that it just seems like it, I mean, who was I, I was talking to, Cole, I mean, one minute, you know, we're just going along, the next minute everything just flips on its side. But you have hope. When you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you have hope. When you know Jesus is your Lord and Savior, you have hope. We have hope because God is a covenantal God who has made a covenant with you and I. Therefore, regardless of what you're going through, 
regardless of the difficulties in your marriage, the difficulties of your health, the difficulties, whatever it is, God is faithful. God is faithful. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this time this morning. Lord, as we dive into this conflict and all that is going on, um, Lord, um, we pray that you would, uh, God, that you would go before us, that you'd give us peace, Lord, you'd give us answers, you'd give us wisdom, Father God. We thank you for who you are, that you're sovereignly in control, Father. Lord, let us bring hope to the hopeless in these times, Father God. Let us be wise. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to, uh, next week we're, we're going to go into Muhammad and the spiritual battle. We're going to go into our responsibility. We're going to talk about eschatology, which is end times and, and our hope, what it's about. We'll pick it up, and I think we can get through those. Do we have any questions, first of all, before? Uh, let, let me say this about questions. I'm making no promises because I am no way, shape, or form an expert in this. If I don't have an answer, I'll get it for you, but let's, uh, let's see what we got to start off. How does the war going on correlate with the end times that Jesus talked about? John prophesies in Revelation. Okay, there's some, he, he, let me give you, I'm just going to give you a, a basic. We'll get some more into it next, next week. But, but here's what we see. As long as Israel has the ability to protect herself, and that may mean with help, as long as Israel has the ability to protect herself, um, Jesus will not be coming back. The moment that Israel does not have the ability to protect herself anymore is when Jesus comes back. Is that? So, you know, uh, end time prophecies and people, let me tell you, anybody who's making declarations about right now, just be careful. I'm not making any declarations. The Bible does says that the, 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 the birthing pains become more prevalent in the end times. It feels like that. But I'm not making any predictions or nothing like that. But I do know what God's word says. When Jesus comes back, it's because they no longer have the ability to do that. Um, hopefully that answers the question. Anything else? No? Gosh. You guys are easy. Did you have something you wanted to? Thank you. Does it help? I, my, my hope in this, and look, I, I just, all I do is I'm just reading and studying and I have a base. And, and my hope is that we will be knowledgeable as Christians. There's too many Christians that just check their brain out. I'll finish with a joke because why not? This guy goes into a, a, a brain factory. And, and, and he goes in to buy, he wants to buy a new brain. And, and on the shelves, there, there are all these brains. And, and uh, on one side, there's all these brains. And, uh, they're, you know, $29.99, you know, $99.99. They're, they're real cheap. And then there's another side in the, in the same place where these brains are like 10000 and 20000 There's one for 100000 He's like, so he goes to the salesman. He goes, look, what, what the heck's going on here? You know, these over here, obviously I want the good deal. And these, they're, they're so expensive. He says, why are these so cheap and why are these so expensive? And the guy said, well, you know, and this is a Christian brain, so I should have 
preface it with it. It's a Christian brain store. And, and he said, these are so, so cheap and these are so expensive. He says, well, the ones that are over here that are so cheap have been used. The ones that are so expensive have never been used before. <laughs> What's the point? we got so many Christians that don't use their brain. God has not called us to be fools. He's called us to think, to reason, to have an answer. You don't have to have all the answers. That's not what I'm saying. But you better know what this word says. You better not be that, that wacko Christian that's, you know, that's just quoting Fox News. And I'm not, I watch Fox News, but I'm in quoting Tucker Carlson and quoting CNN and quoting, I'll offend all of you, every one of those channels. That's not who God has called us to be. Amen. We're to be great. Let me tell you something. God loves the Palestinians. His, his love is bigger than all of that. Yes, his, the Jews are his people, but he loves those people in Palestine. And that's hard for some of us to, to grasp in our head, but after today, you should be able to grasp it a little better because you see through the fall of man and how hatred and, and, and depravity rushes in that if God were not to love them, that he couldn't love you. Because as we talked about several weeks ago, when we looked at the chain, if you were here, it doesn't matter where you break the chain, you still break the chain the moment that you sin. You're separated from God. You're separated from God. So let's be a group of believers who are gracious. When you have those conversations, arguments, think this way. Is it more important for me to win the argument or to love my brother or sister? Would you rather win the argument and lose the person? Or would you rather win the person and lose the argument? Huge. That's the position God has called us to as a church. It's not a political war, people. I'm going to talk about it next week. It's a demonic war. There's a spiritual battle that is taking place. We feel it here with our families. Why do you got me preaching again? That question got me preaching again. I'm sorry. I'm going to get, come back next week. We'll, we'll, we'll pick it up and we'll talk about what that looks like. Uh, as the musicians come forward, I, I want to I get us back in this place of, of reverence. And, and it's, it's around communion. Communion is a powerful time. Because what, what happens in this communion is it, it levels the playing field. You, you know how it levels the playing field? Because I start to look at my own life and my own sin that separates me from God. And I say, oh, thank you, Jesus, that I don't have to be separated from God, that I can have eternal life because of what you did on the cross. That's, that's why this time is so precious. Because God said, when you do this, when you receive the elements, he says, do this in remembrance of me. Jesus said this, that on the night that he was betrayed, he took the, the bread and, and he broke it. And he said, when you come together as family, when you come together, uh, uh, when you're alone and you need hope. But he said, when you come together, he said, take this bread, break it and remember what I did for you. Remember the, the stripes that my body bore for you. Remember the brokenness for you. And, and, and then he took the wine and he said, this wine is a picture of the covenant of my blood. And he, and he said, when you come together as family, 
that you would receive this element. You just let the blood of Jesus wash over you. You just, just remember with all your questions, with all your, your, your foolishness, with all my foolishness, all my questions and all the things, I just go, okay, I'm just going to let the blood of Jesus. See, because that's the great equalizer. And I'm going to trust. So before you come up, and we have stations to the right and left and to the back and to the back, that, that we, we, we do it this way so you can do it as a family. If you're alone or you see someone alone, grab them and have them come receive communion with you. It's a special time. But before you go to do that, just examine your heart. Examine your heart. And then come and receive and walk out those doors. There's no condemnation. There's no guilt. You should walk out of here floating. <laughs> Knowing what God did for you. That you might have eternal life. Father, I thank you. We pray, Lord, for this time. I thank you for this time, Lord, that we can just counter you in a, just a precious way. Oh, God, thank you for your son, Jesus. God, thank you that he died, that I might have life. Oh, God, we pray for Israel. Oh, God, we pray for the conflict that is going on, God, that, that people would encounter you on both sides. Father God, I pray that the Palestinians and the Jews would both have encounters, that your spirit would go forth into that land. They might know you, Father, and have hope of Christ Jesus. Jesus' name.